welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have artist and yogi Emily Kerper join us for a conversation all about the beautiful complexity that is relationships. Together, we talk about healing from attachment trauma through sex work, why we stay in toxic relationships, and the importance of learning to set boundaries. Wow, this is a conversation that I'm going to have to listen to multiple times over. There is just so much relational wisdom that Emily shares from her personal experience that is incredibly powerful. Fat cat, I am trying to record an intro. She wants me to play with her and her little feather stick, so... (laughs) We talk together... um, We talk a lot about the importance of fostering healthy relationships with not just your romantic or sexual partnerships, but also your family, friends, and especially ourselves. All of these relationships are so, so valuable to be investing our time and energy into so that we can shape and grow a healthy community. I just want to give a big thank you to Emily for all of your vulnerability and making this such a healing conversation. I hope y'all tune in another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of slash talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Well, hello. It's nice to meet you. Hi. Hey, nice to meet you too. Thanks for having yeah. me. What are you up to today? Um, I had a yoga class this morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got my niece's birthday party later today, so I'm excited. Yeah. Nice, nice. Do you teach yoga? Yeah, I teach one class a week and I've been trying to attend more classes too, just to kind of like get out there and let someone else instruct, but oh, it's so hard to do that. Yeah. I saw your I yoga really teacher. Hard time with that. Yeah. You're a yoga teacher also? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I taught this morning too. So yeah, nice. I was I have a hard time like letting go to just another teacher. I feel like because then I'm like, I want to do my flow, you know? Totally. To balance yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should probably lean into that more. Yeah, it's <laughs> tough. Point. It's tough. But sometimes when I'm teaching, I'm like not fully letting go. And I'm like, I oh. want to. I want to let go. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. That's super fair. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a very valid point. This is Miss Fat Cat. She is already trying to stake out her spot, which we can adjust for. <laughs> awesome. Do you have any questions about? podcasting about our conversation about anything like before we start um not specifically I'm like excited to dive in I feel like I have so much that I want to talk to you about and (laughs) yeah I'm just I'm excited to get started and kind of hear what you have to say about all this yeah yeah of course well we can start wherever you want to start what do you yeah what do you want to talk about (laughs) 
<laughs> it was so funny because I was like, I sent you a message after listening to some of your podcasts and I was like so excited to just talk about this because it's not something that I've been able to talk about with other people very much. And my brain went so many different directions with it, like wanting to share my personal story or wanting to like philosophically break it down or like oh, explore the that. political parts, you know? So I wasn't really sure where to start, but something that I came to that I was curious if you wanted to talk about together is this um, privilege that I was thinking about in healing from attachment trauma. Mm, that was okay. that was like a big question that I had when I was starting to explore uh, politics, like becoming an anarchist. What does that mean now that I'm like this island of empowerment? you know, understanding my own place in the world. And then how does that impact how I show up in relationships and form partnerships, you know? Sure. But then also, what is it about our experience in this society and in this world that keeps us from being able to do that? Mm. Does that question okay. make sense? To a degree. I think I need a lot more context of, yeah, what you're asking. Yeah, yeah. But I'm following with you. It's, it's, it seems like the change of the embodiment and the understanding of self, you're asking, like, how does that interact with our relationships with other people? Totally. Kind of gauging. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Tell me more. I'm, sure. I'm listening. Maybe I will give some of my personal context to, like, paint a little bit of the picture. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So my own story, I have like a lot of early disrupted attachment from my childhood mm -hmm. experience. And that really did affect how I was able to show up in relationships as I was developing like friendships and romantic partnerships and, and even being able to access like a full spectrum of myself and my gender and what's possible in relationships, you know? So, you know, it took going through a series of really challenging relationships to start to see how impacting um, our, the way that we show up is on our relationships, you know, our, our own embodiment of self and like our own empowerment. Mm -hmm. So kind of moving forward and like having those struggles and then kind of working through those struggles and understanding how like my own empowerment, my own identity, how I'm showing up in relationships was impacting my access to healing even mm. because, you know, the people that were around, we know that has a big impact on our ability to heal. Oh, yes. Yeah. And so I was sort of in this like silo of toxic relationships that oh, wow. kept me kind of oppressed in a way. And it wasn't until I decided to be single and really focus on myself and get therapy and started doing yoga and and then exploring my anarchist identity, you know, kind of like understanding my place in the world and in the society that I was able to really like come more into myself and then show up more fully in my relationships as a more healed person. Yeah. 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 When you look back on that, it feels like almost a different person, huh? Totally. Totally different person. 
Mm-hmm. But that's what I was kind of reflecting on this morning as I was thinking about this conversation is just like the privilege in that, you know, because I, I did have enough stability in my life to get therapy and to find different relationships and find a way to like economically sustain myself while I was accessing healing. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that's sometimes a thing that we overlook in our society right now is how difficult it is to access that, how difficult it is to like even conceptualize our way out of our struggle and out of our patterns of relationships and patterns in ourselves. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Even just being able to pay for services like therapy can be extremely daunting and not all insurances, even if you have that, right? Yeah. Even cover those services. So yeah, I mean, this is a privilege to have that space, to have those resources and to, yeah, be able to heal from that in many ways. A lot of people are stuck and don't really get that same opportunity. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, Yes, it's also a really difficult journey that you've gone through in your own healing, I'm sure, right? It's like we can hold both that it is an immense privilege and also that there's so much strength in your own journey of having to come from that place. Totally, totally. And I think that's why I've become passionate about having conversations like this. Before COVID, I was hosting a discussion group at my house Yeah, I'm like gearing up to get that going again, because I just think there's so much expansion that can happen in a group of people having conversations about real stuff that's hard to process on our own. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's it's life changing. Conversations can change people. Totally. It's the dynamic. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear more about if you're willing to talk about like your early relationships or what, you know, if you have language to describe what that time was like. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So as a child, one of my parents especially had a pretty severe and persistent mental health issue and was really not very present during my childhood in a lot of ways. You know, as you can imagine and have heard, I'm sure, from other people's experiences, that's really impacting for a tiny child, you know, to have a a relationship with a caregiver and want that closeness and support and care and safety and trust. And then not having that as a kid is like really confusing. It's, it's really hard to even understand until you come out of that place a little bit to see how um, dysregulating that is to like not ever be able to trust anyone and mm-hmm. uh, not really know what safety feels like. Right. So it kind of resulted in like a very confusing and emotionally chaotic sort of childhood experience. Mm. And um, coming out of that, you know, moving out before I was even 18, I just recreated that in many different aspects of my life, you know, because, you know, you understand the nervous system. Our nervous systems are like, hey, this is normal. Like, this is working fine because this is what you've always known. You know, you're used to that activated state and sort of like swirling emotions and chaos. And that feels comfortable because that's just what your nervous system is attuned to. Mm -hmm. So I just looked for that in every area of my life. 
And I would say probably most of my 20s was that. And, you know, alcohol was a big part of that. And um, really kind of negative, toxic, codependent relationships were a big part of that. Wow. Yeah. You know, kind of bringing... Sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second. So like no, with you. <laughs> early 20s, I became a mother. Um, I was wow. 22 when I became a mom. So pretty young, bringing this little person into the world and like not fully healed um, or even really had started that journey at that point. So really, it was sort of like parenting and learning how to parent and be a parent and help my child with their own healing that kind of brought me to my own healing, which I don't think is ideal necessarily. I wouldn't recommend that route for parents, you know, people considering parenthood. But, you know, as they say, no one's ever fully ready to be a parent. And we just don't really know until we're in it, you know, where we're at in that process. Right, right, right. And I mean, I think it's it's so important what you're hitting on, though, is that relationships can change you both ways. A lot of people look at the child-parent dynamic and be like, what can the child teach me? It, you can learn a lot about yourself even within these different – you know, here's the anarchy, the power dynamics of that sort of situation where people are going to assume you can't learn anything. But here you are saying, I've learned so much through this. Totally. And I, I really think like keeping that space open where I was able to learn from observing my child, like how are they – interacting with me and what does that say about how I'm how I'm interacting with them how am I empowering them to access their emotions or their personal power by my own behavior and like what kind of framework I'm creating in this space so it it really taught me a lot about uh, power dynamics and relationships and healing so I mean kind of flashing forward, I ended up in another relationship and having another child. And so then that was two children in this like unhealed parenting dynamic. And, you know, one thing that I also wanted to touch on is like this idea that uh, single mothers are a huge uh, marginalized group in our country, you know, like 50% of single mothers live in poverty. And that's a big deal. And that really affects our access to healing too. Here's my dog wanting to say hi. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you guys Everyone see is welcome here. Hi, pup. <laughs> oh, hello. So cute. I just had to say hi. This is my kind of break. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right, bud. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not... I has, you know, I hesitated about sharing some of my personal stuff because some of it is like kind of painful to reflect on, you know, but also I've done a lot of processing on this and done a lot of my own personal work to be able to show up and talk about it. And I do think that it's important to kind of bring this conversation to the surface and think about, you know, how we're healing on different levels and different places and you know, how we create access for that in our society, you know, especially in like those really marginalized spaces, you know, where people need it. And it's just really hard to find that or even to prioritize that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think makes it so difficult for 
single moms to find, yeah, Mm. the resources that they need? It's a great question. I think a lot of it has to do with socialization, especially toward people raised as females in our society about what's expected in terms of like emotional labor and just labor in general. You know, when two people decide to have a child or end up with a child, it's often a lot of that labor falls on the person who's physically birthed the child to take care of a lot of those physical needs and and the early part of that child's life. And I think, you know, because of that, it sort of becomes this assumed position for the mother to like take that role. Like, okay, it's my job to just like be with this child forever and do all the things and have a job and take care of a house and potentially find another partner or have a social life or date, yeah. you know, or like be a superhero. Yeah. And it's a lot. And I, I do think that there's pressure in our society and, and not just for white women. I think like for women of color, especially it's huge, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. because of that, like added element of um, black bodies being imprisoned mm-hmm. and, Um, That just creates a lot of struggle for, you know, women of color who are having children. Yeah. So, you know, it's a complex issue for sure. But, um, but I think it's good to talk about it and just, you know, bring that to the surface, bring it to light and and talk about how we can create more access for people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing in all of your experience and willing, being willing to talk about this. So thank you. Do you feel like that's something that you experienced when you were going through this, like that pressure? Mm. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think because of that early experience that I'd had with attachment, the partners that I chose were not, um, I didn't have a healthy attachment with them. And as a result of that, they really weren't able to show up in ways that were particularly helpful. And I don't, I don't want to like say that they haven't helped in any way. You know, I have, sure, I have a deep appreciation for both of my children's fathers, um, you know, and also I think that they are partially a result of their own socialization and what's modeled for men, you know, people raised Absolutely. as men in this society in terms of like how they parent and how they show up and what their responsibilities are. And so, you know, it, again, it's a complex issue. And, and I think that, you know, learning how to talk about these things is so important for the healing of just society in general. You know, Mm -hmm. I hope that like someone hearing this conversation, if you, you know, if you end up using this, this conversation, maybe empowers themselves to have those difficult conversations and, you know, understand their own roles and responsibilities in this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love that the space that you're holding, you know, for your, the people in your life that maybe aren't showing up in the ways that we would like, right? And recognizing that we don't direct that frustration towards them, but you're directing it at the larger oppression that is the patriarchy. Let's be clear here, right? Totally. Like, no one wins under the patriarchy. We're all suffering in different ways Absolutely. from that. And so, right, being able to hold that space for them. And have that compassion, I think is so important. 
And at the same time, I also want to say like when we're in that sort of space where we are reenacting patterns from our childhood, I don't know about you, but like the relationships at the time feel really good in this like really toxic, difficult Mm. way Mm. when you're in that space. So I think it's like so hard because at least from my own personal experience being in that sort of space, I don't know what I needed to hear to like leave, you know, Mm. like the, uh, totally it's, it's an addiction. Yes, I agree. I agree. I'd love to share another part of my personal story that kind of like bridges that gap. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I had really gone back and forth about sharing this or not sharing this with you, but I do think that this is another important element and really does kind of like add to the complexity and the depth in this conversation. So during the relationship that I had with my second child's father, I started dabbling in the sex industry, doing sex work. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of was like a curiosity and uh, a little bit of like a pushing my own boundaries and like exploring the spectrum of relationships and yeah. my own sexuality empowerment and like power dynamics and also like economic freedom. You know what I mean? Like how can I use these online platforms and like make it work and like do the thing and maybe quit my nine to five job? Um, you know? And so I went from working a 40 hour a week job as a single mom to working maybe two days a week and making more money. And that was, honestly, like a big eye-opening period of my life where I understood the freedom that finances can give to a person in a way that really kind of grossed me out. You know, it's really unfortunate, but like people with access to economic stability also have access to more self-care time and, you know, personal growth time and, you know, leisure and, access to like expressive activities and things that are so enriching to us as people, you know? So I, I kind of like just went into that for a while and just explored it. And it was interesting kind of like going back to the comment that you made about like recreating our early experience in our relationships I was able to take that early experience into the relationships that I developed in clubs with people and and sort of like find the power dynamics in those relationships that did have this economic component to it. And it was really healing in the sense mm. that like I was able to set those boundaries and find my own places of safety by navigating it with like very clear boundaries and communication. I had to learn those things in order to keep myself safe there. But it really did kind of help me more intentionally define those relationships and what they looked like, how they were helping me, how they were helping the other person, um, how they were hurting me, how they were hurting the other person, Mm. you know, just kind of like all those little pieces that were connected to these relationships that were like kind of unique, you know, because they're different from a, like a romantic relationship that doesn't have that like financial tie or isn't in that specific environment. So kind of flashing forward, 
I think over time, I started to see that it was too much power. Like there was too much power. Mm. (laughs) What? (laughs) How so? (laughs) It was almost as if like I had found that place where I could exert that power and I didn't want to keep developing that skill anymore. Mm. Like it was too, it was like pushing me too far the other direction where I was like overpowering people because I could in that environment. You know, I was like pushing people's boundaries because I could in that environment and those things were acceptable. Um, And I, from that, coming back to that anarchist perspective, I was like, okay, this actually goes against my values at this point to be like exerting that power so much that it's actually like stepping on someone else's needs at this point. And, And that could be like, a little bit subjective, I suppose. But but I, at a certain point, was like, okay, I think I got what I needed out of this environment. And, um, you know, I paid off all my debt and was able to re-enroll in school and went back to school. And, you know, it, like, was really a stepping stone for me to, like, get back to, into the next phase of my life and move forward. But, Yeah, but it was like extremely interesting to like use that environment to examine power dynamics. A hundred percent because you have to advocate for your safety in those situations and be very clear and straightforward with boundaries and other things like that. So yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, if you hadn't been having those sort of conversations in relationships prior to, then yeah, this is going to be a whole new ground for personal development in that space. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And I do think that it, over time, helped me to address some of that attachment trauma, which, you know, Mm. seems kind of odd, maybe to find healing in an environment like that. But really, it was that boundary setting, the communication, and like, finding my own safety, and advocating for my own safety that really started to kind of chip away at some of that automatic position that I would take in a relationship with someone where I did feel unsafe or, you know, allowed myself to kind of be less important, you know, my needs being less and um, kind of standing up and being like, nope, this is who I am. This is what I expect. This is what I need. Take it or leave it. That's it. That's what you get. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. You know, so it, it really was like a very fascinating transformation to like go through all of that and then come out the other side and be like, okay, now I'm going to try poly relationships because that's what I've been doing in this club environment is like basically having these poly type relationships with a price tag on them. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean by the price tag? Just the, in the club environment, there was that financial element to the relationship, Mm, you know? Okay. And so I, you know, because of that, I do think that it, it kind of brought to my exploring this idea that like relationships are bringing different things into our lives, you know? Sure. Some of that is Mm -hmm. that economic part. Some of it is emotional support, stability, you know, some of it's fun or excitement, adventure, you know, there's all these things that different relationships bring into our lives. So that was just kind of like 
one of those environments that helps me kind of think about that and break it down and then prioritize, like, what am I looking for in these relationships, um, you know, in this time period of my life, in this environment? Definitely. Yeah. I just want to say this sounds like an incredibly empowering situation. Like I, like you were saying, it might sound weird to say that you learned, like, I, I want to take that back. Like, why does it sound weird? Like, this is empowering. Yeah, totally. And, and I will touch on this just briefly that like, that is not a route that I would necessarily like suggest to someone. Mm. Although it was very empowering in many ways for me, it also came with additional trauma and harm. So I, mm. so I just want to like also put that out there for anyone who might listen to this and be like, oh, that's an empowering thing. Like, I'm going to go do that. Um, just a caution that like, it also is a very toxic environment and can be very harmful. And I kind of, I got into that environment a little bit older with some skills already, despite what I said about like my lack of healing, I had worked in mental health. I had worked in social services. Like I had already kind of started to develop some tools about self-regulating and safety um, and language before going into that setting. So I think some of that framework was in place enough that I was able to find safety and healing there. But um, I also encountered a lot of risk and a lot of danger. Sure. And um, so I just want to like say that also. No, that's a hundred percent. I mean, yeah. yeah, talking about both sides of the coin here, right? For sure. Not just one side. For so sure. I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But the other reason I did choose to share that is just that I think that like we can also have conversations about sex work to help like break down stigmas about that too. You know, because I, I do think that it can be extremely empowering. And especially as we're talking about like economic stability, um, especially for, you know, people raised as females or um, non-binary or, um, you know, trans individuals like people of color. I think like, like talking about it and empowering people to like find access however they want and need to find access to stability is really important. So I just wanted to like share about that to kind of like level, level that a little bit, you know, like this is part of my story. So, and I had the privilege to, to do that and to also like remove myself from that when I was ready and use it as a, a tool to like access higher education, which was like such a blessing. Yeah, yeah. How did you make that transition then between deciding once you realized the time to move on to something else was right for you to know that you wanted to go into the program and what you're doing now? Yeah, yeah. It was pretty interesting because as I uh, worked in the club environment for several years, I found myself again in a helping role. And that's sort of always been my, my like niche as a person, you know, and some of that I'm sure comes from that like early attachment stuff and like, you know, wanting so badly to like help and like watch someone succeed and get out of their current hardship, you know, but I am just drawn to that, like offering people support or help or care. 
And so that was like my role there too, was like, I felt as if I was a therapist many days going to work just with like a special outfit and like really tall shoes. (laughs) (laughs) But I was like there talking to people and supporting people and like hearing their story. And I was like, okay, I could be doing this here in this environment, like wearing the tall shoes and hurting my body and like putting myself in this situation day after day. Or I could go back to school and finish my degree and do this in an office wearing more clothing and more comfortable shoes. So that was sort of how that transition came about. Yeah. And, And I think it was like a really natural transition at that point, because in addition to like finding that economic stability, it also, as I had said, gave me more time for my own healing and self-care. And so by that time, I really had developed a lot more skills. I was in a regular meditation practice. I was teaching yoga. Um, I was in my own therapy. And so there were all these other pieces in place that helped me see that as a viable option. Whereas before it was just too difficult still emotionally for me to like hold all of that or process that and, and my own stuff at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it's hard when we have a lot going on, we can go into that survival mode. So opening up another Pandora's box of like pain and attachment, all of that sort of stuff can be not safe even, right? Like you couldn't even deal with all of that. So to protect ourselves, we don't even open up that box. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard, you've probably heard this too, like we can only take our clients as far as we ourselves have gone. Ooh, I have not heard that. Oh yeah. It's just, it's such a simple and like pretty profound statement about like the work that we do as like people on the healing path, you know, like if there's a place that we're afraid to go, we're not going to be able to take anyone else there either or hold that space with someone, you know? And I think that happens even in like outside of the healing relationships too. Definitely. I was having a conversation with one of my close friends about this last night. So I'm curious what you think. Um, as you start to heal and have more space for other people, it the kind of people that you gravitate towards naturally changes. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And And I think some of it has to do with like what we're talking about. It's like when you're – creating access in yourself like you're accessing parts of yourself and then you're trying to like create access in your relationships too and you're talking about these issues or you're like engaging in social justice work or like community projects or things like that together like you're doing it with other people who are also accessing that in themselves because they're able to show up in those other spaces. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's totally like a internal external kind of thing. I listened to your uh, podcast that was, I'm a polyamorous person in a monogamous relationship. Oh my God. I the like reason why I went through a breakup. <laughs> 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 Yes, what? <laughs> it was amazing. It was like just amazing. And like I heard you all talking about quantum physics and I was just oh like, oh nerd alert. Like that's me too. Uh but but it made me think about like, you know, relationships in this like 
micro and then like macro kind of perspective, you know? And so like what, what you're saying about relationships totally applies in that sense too. It's like, you know, we got this like little internal system with all these little molecules working together in the system of collaboration to like make this body that's working, you know? And then if we start connecting to a larger system where we're trying to like do meaningful work in this somehow cohesive system, we're going to have to work together. And like those molecules, if we want to see ourselves as a molecule and another person as a molecule, like we have to be in some sort of relationship or cohesion with one another. And I think like that's where that like and like kind of fits, you know. Definitely, definitely. It's almost like um, two rhythms, right? You know, there's certain beats that if we put together might just not sound right. And we kind of hear that in our ears versus maybe those rhythms that just kind of naturally come into tune with us and you feel that difference. Totally. I think for me, what I, there's other language, right? To like, I'm just thinking about all the different ways that we have different language to describe all of these things. And I love it. Um, I think another way to describe it would be as our like value systems change, what we find attractive in not just a romantic sense, but also a platonic sense and just in relationships in general changes totally yeah yeah and some of it is like our own you know if you want to call it like a frequency or you could call it habits I mean you can define it in so many different ways like spiritual or not but like you know it's what you said about like how those rhythms or those beats are like meshing or not meshing you know I noticed a huge shift in my relationships as I started healing just Mm. Many of my relationships didn't continue. And the ones that did are like the really meaningful, robust, like strong soul connection kind of relationships, you know? Yeah. Could you say more on that process of of almost like shedding? Mm, Totally. And that's a, it's a great word for it too. I think boundary setting is really difficult in our society. Like it's not something that we learn about and talk about enough early in our experience and how, you know, individuality is so beautiful. And that's such a value in our, in this like United States society, but too much. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's too much. It like puts us in this little bubble where we're too much. We're like not understanding ourselves and how we interact with the larger society and like how powerful that is, how beautiful it is that we can have an impact on like a broader society, but also how that broader society influences us. 100%. And we're not empowered to like find the language or use the language to like protect that little bubble that is us and understand like its permeability, you know, kind of like good boundary exterior. And so, so I think when I started setting boundaries in my relationships, it was a little clunky at first, 
And that's the honest truth. There it is. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's just hard, you know? And, and I found yeah. myself like kind of angry at times, like, you're stepping on me. Like, I'm done with that. Like, I'm not going to be stepped on anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I had to kind of work through my own anger. And, like, I'll be honest, especially at men, uh, I just started noticing things that were really activating for me. And I had to do a lot of work with my own dad over some of that, you know, and like, I'm so blessed that I have a parent that I can do that with, but it's like, it's hard work to like get into the root of all of our stuff and like see those activation points and then learn to like soften ourselves and have those conversations in ways that are less damaging for relationships, you know? Because I think they can happen. I think we can have those conversations where we're like, hey, I need more clarity, you know, in our conversations about like what you need. And when I don't get that from you, like it's confusing for me and I can't assume that, you know, some of those conversations that are like really fundamental for our closeness with other people. And yet they're hard and not well modeled for us. And especially if we don't have caregivers that modeled those conversations for us, you know. So that was a big part of those transitions for me was like clunking myself through those conversations, learning to have them, first of all, like the courage to have them. And then the eloquence to like say it in a way that wasn't damaging for the relationship. And then finally, I think the emotional awareness in myself to notice when that activation is happening and like calm myself enough to have that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I imagine this is kind of when you were talking at the beginning about how the dynamics of relationships and our part in that dynamic. Mm -hmm. I think this is probably what you're talking about now, right? Is you're way more aware of your dynamic in the chemistry. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it does take a lot, you know, and I I do think, you know, when we become defensive, like when we become in this like habit of being defensive, it can be scary for people to confront us with their needs or their feedback. And I see that like in a real way in myself and I have compassion for myself and for like all, especially people socialized as females who have come into like feminism and empowerment to like, I understand, I get it. And also I think that in order to have productive conversations, we have to take a breath. (laughs) We have to like Mm -hmm. calm ourselves and be able to like have a lot of compassion for people who don't get it. You know, Mm -hmm. because, you know, as we were talking about earlier in our conversation, like other people are, also a result of their own socialization and they just don't get it they don't get it yeah so and i think this is also like what you were saying earlier with the quote right you or i had heard something similar to where it was like people can only meet you as far as they've gone themselves right so like that makes sense and we understand that and so yeah having compassion for that and for the fact that like we're probably going to be that person to someone else you know what I mean like that's the other flip coin is that I feel like you see it both ways where like I'm constantly learning constantly failing and constantly growing through that yeah absolutely 
it's a, it's a wild journey, you know? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's really cool though, when you can find people who are patient and, you know, are willing to like have that conversation, even when it's difficult and hear where you're coming from and then kind of like work together toward a better understanding and like mutual way of supporting each other. Yeah. Well, it's so scary, right? Like, it's like, if we think about it, you know, we come into this fight with our partner of any sort of type, you know, mm-hmm. not just romantic or sexual. Like, I, I want to normalize the fact that platonic relationships should be having this level of conversation as well. Absolutely. Important relationships should be able to talk about difficult things. Yes. But like, we come into that with like, you know, like a shield and like a spear to the other person and we're mad and angry ready to fight versus like hey i'm gonna put the shield down and actually i'm gonna hand you the spear and tell you why i'm afraid which is the spear uh so i'm just standing here if you want to stab me with it you can like that's part of what it means to open up and be vulnerable like and say i'm scared this is the story i'm telling myself it's like handing them the weapon to harm you if they want to use it against you Mm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and being able to trust, right, that the other person is not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. I love that analogy you just used. Yeah, and 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 even if they do use it against us, like, how can we still learn to heal from that too? Because that will happen. Yeah, totally. Unfortunately. One thing that I have kind of, like, shifted my thinking toward is, like, none of that really can hurt me, you know? I am safe no matter what at this point, you know, and, and that's how I have shifted my own thinking about like internal resourcing is just like, I am going to hurt sometimes, you know, and mostly like that is my own framing of what's happening. You know, Mm. most of that pain that I feel is the way that I'm framing my experience, what I'm focusing on or what I've allowed to come in, or what I myself am doing to myself, you know, is often what it is. So when I think about like handing someone a sword, it's almost like, or like handing them a spear, it's like, here you go. But also with the understanding that like, I'm okay, like I, you can stab me, but I'm still gonna be fine. Because like, what is existence anyway? You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because you made the sphere and you can just turn it into dust whenever you want to because you're the maker of it, right? Because the sphere is like, the sphere is what your vulnerability is and your fear. So yeah, if you have a grounding in yourself to know like, hey, what you do with that says more about you than it does about me Yeah, because we're in our own individual spaces mentally, then yeah, what's the sphere, right? Other than a construct of my imagination at that point. Exactly. It's like taking the spear and being like, hey, I have felt this to be a spear because of my own stuff. And now Mm -hmm. as I'm like holding it out to you, we're going to together transform this into like a feather, you know, Mm, like, here you go, like tickle away or whatever, you know, but Uh it's sort of like just offering it to another person in a way disarms it. You know, yes, and a hundred percent. I think like that could depend a lot on context and like you know, but in a in the safety of a relationship, I think is what we're talking about. You know, I think that like disarming can be really powerful. 
Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's so important to normalize that in relationships, we have rupture and repair, Mm. right? Like to just expect the relationship to go on smoothly with no problems is unrealistic. 100% all types of relationships, right? There are going to be moments because we have two individuals trying to come together where maybe there was a misunderstanding, miscommunication. That's so normal if you're not having that it's probably happening. You don't realize it, right? Like, so like being able to understand that part of relationships are that rupture, repair, rupture, repair, and building in that strength, which I think is such a beautiful metaphor too. I mean, like when we think about building muscles, we have to break down the muscles and literally pull them apart so that they can be stronger and you know? Yeah, absolutely. This is a part of relationships. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing when done with loving vulnerability and turning it into a feather. Exactly. Totally. That's healing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if you're into tarot cards at all. Oh, I'm not. Okay. Tell me. Yeah, yeah. There, <laughs> there's this card, like it's the tower and it kind of represents that, like the end of the cycle of like challenge. And then you get to this point that like a tower needs to be rebuilt because it's like mm-hmm. damaged And so you have to like tear down all the old structures to rebuild something new. And that's, that's kind of what I think about when I think of like rupture and repair, it's like, okay, something wasn't working here. Like what can we tear away and like rebuild here to support Mm -hmm. this structure? Yeah. To be even stronger. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that if we can normalize anything about relationships is, is that normalizing that, right? Yeah. And being able to hold space for when we mess up. And I think it was very novel for me to find friends platonically, right, that held space for those level of conversations too. That seemed to be something that like I had only really had in romantic partnerships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe if I would have had a different family dynamic, it would have been modeled again, right? Like, mm-hmm. so who knows? Maybe there are totally healthy families doing this stuff from day one. Um, lucky. Uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Renee Brown has children, so I wonder what their lives yes. are like. You know what I mean? Like, she's probably like, great job. <laughs> Future spiritual leaders of the world. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, Jesus. Yes. Please be my mom, Brene Brown. <laughs> I know, I know. But yeah, it's it's so radical to me. I feel like one of my post-it notes I have up here was like, uh, it's something like you can't hear the toxicity of your community. Or you, uh, you can't hear the language of toxicity when it's your community. And it's so interesting to me like that, you know, when you start to get into more of like a healing space and people that can hold that space for you, it, it transforms you. And then when you go into another person, you hear that sort of dynamic and energy, you immediately recognize it so much quicker. And you're like, I am not embarking down that journey of pain. Absolutely. I, th- I think that, you know, speaks to what you were saying about like relationship shifting when you get into mm. a healing space, you know, because it's like you you almost can't sustain those relationships anymore with your new habits. You know, if you're like on a growth path and you're like doing stuff for your healing, it's almost impossible to be around other people who aren't without noticing. And so it just, it changes the dynamics in the relationship where you're no longer able to interact just like, oh, we're like on this mutual plane, you know, you can get there, but it takes like, an awareness 
and compassion. It's like this recalibrating of the relationship where you're like, okay, I see where you're at. That's not where I'm at. Think whatever. And how can I show up with you right now to like be okay and for you to be okay here? But I don't think that they're often always aware of what's happening. They're not doing that same recalibrating, you know, they're just like living it. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think part of the reality is in a relationship, the like healthy dynamics of a good relationship is a level of reciprocity. Mm, totally. Of some sort, some sort, mm-hmm. right? Like relationships have give and take, but there should be a reciprocity. So coming into relationships that continually drain you and feel like work and feel like it's causing you distress, it's hard. You, I mean, no human is going to want to maintain that. Mm-hmm. Because it's draining on you. And we we do for love and for other things depending, right? This is where it gets tricky where I start to think about like, oh, but your family members and other people, mm-hmm. like if you have parents that, you know, might be emotionally immature, like I guess then you reframe to have more compassion and realistic expectations mm-hmm. for what that relationship can be. So that way you're not so drained by it, right? right? But like there is this reality that as humans looking for flourishing relationships, we want a reciprocity. Totally. Yeah. I think a lot about kind of my like core group and then Mm -hmm. like a peripheral group. Yes. You know? Yes. So like my core circle, my core group is like the ones in the work, you know? I would say like probably all of my core friend group is like people who are like those pillars around me with me doing their own work and with this ability to show up with more reciprocity in our relationship, you know, and then the people who aren't doing that work, it's hard for me to have that same reciprocity with them. And so they are probably more at that peripheral level, even family members, you know, I'm curious if you want to talk more about like how you see those relationship dynamics as different with family. Cause I, I kind of wrestle with that sometimes too. Like Mm. if we should change the position, like the way that we interact with those people because of their like status, their born status in our life. Mm. Yeah. I think um, my personal opinions are that, Oh, that's so hard. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, I'm just going to speak from my own lived experience, right? Like what I'm doing, I don't know what anyone should do because I I really don't know, you know? Yeah. And every person has a different value system of what's important to them. So someone who has a really deep value system of family or duty and other stuff like that is going to have a completely different answer than me. But for me, I think I I read the book, Healing from Emotionally Immature Parents, Uh, Mm. something like that. It's a great book. Highly recommend And I think one of the big things was learning to accept what you can get out of those relationships Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. having that acceptance with it has given me more peace to interact with them in a different way. Okay. Yeah. And it's something that I feel horror about to even like say that sort of stuff, but it also is like this reality, right? Mm -hmm. Um, my mom has been like going through some dating interesting things and like um having very like toxic patterns that I've kind of tried to talk to her about and be like hey like you deserve better than this but like she's just not at that sort of place to see that mm-hmm. and so I was spending a lot of energy trying to help trying to help her get out of it trying to do that versus recognizing that that isn't my job yeah. you know what I mean yeah. in this dynamic totally um and so coming into more like realistic expectations of that so yeah how that plays out for me is like, you know, 
getting a phone call from her, her talking about her dynamics, me holding that space for the conversation. And then the converse, like she kind of finishes her piece. And then I switch over to like, oh, in my life, I had this dynamic with this relationship. It's been really tough. Mm -hmm. And then she circumvents the purpose of the conversation back to hers. Mm -hmm. So like she like wasn't able to hold space for like my things that I was trying to open up and talk to her about. Yeah. And so that's, that's hard, right? Yeah, definitely. Sometimes she does and sometimes she doesn't, right? But like. That would hurt and if I don't come in with, like, a realistic expectation of, like, my mom's level of capacity to hold space for other people when she's going through a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just – it's complex. And so I just have a little bit – like, I love her dearly, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's such an important relationship in my life. And also I'm going to have realistic expectations about what sort of emotional support I can expect. Yeah, Totally. I appreciate what you have to say about that. I I think that it's really important to think about how family kind of plays a role in our continued healing, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's so big, you know, because like we're talking about relationships and it's all good and fine to like think about our friendships and our platonic and romantic relationships, but like family can just come right through and derail things or like, you know, these relationship dynamics are so different. They're so demanding. They can be so toxic for people, you know, and, and I think that like, if we don't really define some of that for ourselves, it can put us at risk to not like actualizing our full potential for growth and like just keep us stuck in those like patterns that we've been accustomed to, you know? Right. Because if I continue in this role of thinking like, oh, I'm going to be the healer, think about all the energy that I am devoting to somewhere that isn't going to necessarily pay off in something, nor is it my role. Right. 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 So like it's going to block me from healing. And I think that's super important is like recognizing that that was a response to a pattern. I'm sure maybe you resonate with that, right, of wanting to heal. Here we are healers in this space, Mm -hmm. you know, therapists, yogis, the Mm -hmm. whole thing, right, where we've been taught that's how we can provide love and meaning to this world. But at the same time, what cost is that to us, us, right, and our sense of self and all the energy that we pour out to other people? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so interesting. You know, one of my big takeaways from my social work program was like, Mm -hmm. just stop talking so much, you know, it's like, (laughs) like you go thinking you're going to like learn this profound language and way of interacting with people. And really it's just like, no, just stop, like just hold the space and like not talk as much and learn how to protect yourself energetically, emotionally, you know, psychologically, whatever. But it's really about like, people just need to heal in their own bubble. And they sometimes just need someone to sit with them. And it's, it's really interesting to like, just think about how healing happens in that way. We just need to be seen by people just recognized and validated by people. You know, we don't need to hear anything. We just need to be together. Mm-hmm. Attunement. Totally. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like at the core, I mean, of all psychological theories, we know that rapport, the relationship, is actually what's typically the biggest thing in healing and showing good results. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's why I'm so passionate about like conversation and community 
and I'm excited to like start having discussion group again. And I'm thinking a lot about like peer mentor programs for people, because I think like that's one of the ways that we can use mutual aid to break down this access issue is like if we can help people access like peer relationships that are about showing up for one another and having those conversations like we could advance so much in our healing and create so much access for one another you know I think we just need to like organize some of those spaces and get the right people excited to like bring that and create that in our in our society so here we go Yes. I mean, community is healing. Totally. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any like ideas about how you're going to do this? I'm curious. What are you dreaming? What are you concocting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I told you I just finished classes this week. So like, since then, my brain is just like trying to finalize all these details. But um, I'm gearing up to start two big projects and one is one is a nonprofit that is promoting art and expression in the community so we'll be doing music events and classes and um, art creation and art shows and then so that's like kind of one part of the project and then this whole other part is about conversation so it'll be like the discussion group and speaking events and a peer mentorship program. Um, so it's it's really just like creating a space where people can like join a community and learn how to have these conversations, learn how to engage in these expressive activities in like a, a safe space for them. Hell so, yeah. That's yeah. really exciting. Yeah. Thank you. I'm super excited yeah. too. Yeah. I want to check in and ask, is there anything that you feel like maybe we didn't talk about that you still have lingering on your heart? Mm. I guess like one thing that maybe I'd like to share is like what has come out of my, like where I'm at in my healing at this point. If I could like talk for just a couple more minutes about that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Tell me. So, you know, everything that we've been talking about with like self-awareness and healing and like having community and learning how to communicate and set boundaries, you know, that's like a whole ass journey. And, you know, um, I can tell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it's yes. not like a journey that you just like go into and then you're done. This is like now a lifelong process of like relearning things, reparenting, like continuing that healing work. And um, and I think it's important to like say that, you know, like it's not a linear process, but let's let's like give a little shout out to neuroplasticity a little bit you know like hey thank you for the brain's ability to like heal and reconnect and like make new connections yes Mm -hmm. so thankful for that so going from starting school getting back into therapy my kids really were like trying to settle, like we're settling into a new routine. COVID hit, you know, my little guy was starting kindergarten. It was like a whole thing. And I think like being in that cocoon for a little while and reflecting on like, where are we at and our healing? What do we still need? Gave us a chance to kind of like reset and re-identify like what we still needed as a little 
like ecosystem. So we started having more conversations, you know, just like me and my little team of people in my house, you know, and learned how to communicate a lot better and focused on our own healing. Two out of three of us had therapy and, you know, we're doing, we called it quiet reflection time, uh, which is like a little meditation mindfulness every Mm -hmm. day, you know, beautiful. We, I've been focusing on eating healthy and like getting exercise every day and all these things. And, and I guess I'm just saying that because I think that like when, before we start this growth journey, all of those things don't feel accessible, you know, like that doesn't feel like something that will ever be normal to like have healing in a home environment to be able to have conversations with children to like get through conflicts with children who are like learning how to interact and like be in this world you know like getting through covid can we like shout out to everybody for that like yeah. that was a whole last journey oh yes yes still still yeah. And so I think like now more than ever, we really need to like have these conversations about what's next. And, and that's part of why I wanted to come here and talk to you today is like, hell yeah, this is like the what's next. Like, how do we come together and like heal, talk about things and like where we're at and what we still need to do to move forward and like bring others along with us on this healing journey, you know, not to like like evolve in a bubble and like, you know, a silo of our own healing and like acquiring more for like ourselves. But like, how do we create mutual expansion and like share this growth that we've experienced and like bring other people along if they want to be here too, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I just finished school and like, I'm starting a new project. Thank you. I met like a super rad human and like have been able to cultivate a really intentional and beautiful partnership, which has been like something I never imagined that I would be able to access in my life. Mm. You know, my kids are like super thrilled and healthy and, you know, watching them set boundaries with each other and communicate is such a cool, amazing thing. You know, because it's like that trickle down effect of like what this learning and growth produces. So I guess I just wanted to kind of like end with that, like just that like healing is available and like it really does feel different than I ever could have imagined it to be, you know, like healing attachment trauma is totally possible and what a gift, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. To now be in a relationship that feels safe, healthy, and a space to grow. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. How would you describe that relationship? I'm so curious, like what sort of language Mm. you use knowing your like values from what I've heard in the last hour and your messages. I'm just so curious. Yeah. It's, you know, it's been wild because I really didn't imagine myself in a close monogamous, like, partnership Mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. And I would say, like, that specific human is a big part of why that's available to me because he's very patient and graceful and empowering and um, self-aware 
and reflective. He's able to like quiet himself when I see some of that like conditioning bubble up. It's like he bubbles it back down so beautifully and just like waits and listens. And and I just think that's such a unique quality for men, especially like I'll just say that. And like, what a beautiful quality to see in someone conditioned as a male person in this society, like to be able to soften themselves and understand their position and like allow space for other people. Yeah. So I think that's a huge part of it is just like his willingness to like see and uplift me as a human and like not be focused and concerned about gender norms or relationship norms and um be really like open and able to have conversations about what the relationship should be like or what we want it to be like so I just think like some of those things are so unique about our relationship because that has been so important to me and I don't think I would have had a relationship otherwise if we weren't able to like really establish that and clarify some things and like understand what that culture was going to look like. So that's, that's what I would attribute it to. Like, yeah. Like what made you think you wouldn't have had it otherwise? I did not want to be limited in a relationship. That was like a big factor. Me. I'm like, tell me the secret. Totally. I felt that many of the partnerships I had chosen were held me hostage in a way like and and I see now that that was in many ways my own subconscious choice to choose choose a partner that wouldn't allow me or that I didn't feel um, like I was given permission to like fully be myself like in my fullest fullness I'm a high energy person like who wants to do a lot of stuff and like experience a lot of things and like say all the things I don't yeah. want to hold back. I don't want to turn down. And you shouldn't have to. Exactly. But that's very hard for someone in a relationship with me who's like embarrassed or like, like, you know, feels insecure about their own stuff. And so maybe they don't want to be as much in the spotlight. Mm. Um, So there's just a lot of things that come along with being in a partnership with like a very dynamic person. So at the point that I like was really aware of that, I was like, okay, well, never again am I going to choose a partner that I don't feel I can be my absolute fullest with. Hell yeah. And, Mm -hmm. And I just held out and I... Um, I had a partner who was an anarchist uh, for almost three years. And that was actually like a really good intro a bit into like empowerment because they were very like, I'm going to do my thing. You do your thing. Like we're both these humans doing these things and we can come together. And that was like a beautiful kind of like experiment about how two people can be like mutually independent and then come together for this like very intentional relationship. Mm-hmm. But it was without a commitment. There wasn't mm. there wasn't like that commitment aspect that I think my insecure attachment self like really felt confused by. I was like, well, what are we doing? Like, how are we moving along together? Like, what is this? 
Um, and ultimately that was sort of what ended that partnership. Um, but I kept that with me, like this sort of like experience of being really seen and empowered to be very independent and do my thing and be in my fullness. And when I met another person who was really like, saw me in that fullness and was like, hell yeah, like do it, do all the things like you're a badass. I was like, okay, like this is the kind of person I I can step forward with because they see me and they, they don't feel threatened by that. They want to like uplift that. So ultimately like that was, it was like, I needed a partnership that would just see me not guide me in any way necessarily, but just see me and accept me. And that's what I found. And it's, it's really like a beautiful experience to, to be like partnered with someone who's just like, yeah, do whatever you want. And like, I'm here for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And still has that like commitment to you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm. It's very unique. I, like we could do a whole podcast on just like what that like relationship dynamic is like, you know, but like, yeah. And I think an important piece is you said you held out, right? You held out. That's really big that it takes time to find people that are going to fit and you're going to go through a lot of different, you know, yeah, you're shopping, you know, or whatever. Maybe that's a shitty metaphor, but you're going through a lot of different things and sometimes the clothes fit and sometimes they don't, you know, and that's okay. Totally. And I think being single for a year, I committed to being single for an entire year. And that was a transformative experience for me because when you know that you're not going to choose a partner because you've decided in yourself, like, I'm not going to be partnered right now. You're carrying yourself in a different way. You're Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm like free of help. I'm free of consistent emotional support. I'm free of like an expectation about like physical closeness with anybody. Like it's very autonomous. It's very scary, really. But like what a beautiful thing to get comfortable with that and be able to attach with like very real um, awareness of like what it's like without a partner and now what it's like to attach with this specific partner, you know, mm-hmm. such a cool yeah, thing to settle into that compared to the other space of like more individual. Yeah. Yeah. I've been like shying away from even using the word single though. Like I've been a little bit more like pushing on that where I'm like, I'm in an abundance of relationships, Ooh. right? Like, yeah. So I'm like, cause sometimes I've, I've been single, uh, and, uh, for, it's not even that long now, a couple of months. And even that language, yeah, I've been trying to like challenge it for myself. And like, well, what about all the other relationships? Are you ever really single? Totally. You might not have that romantic or sexual, or, you know, but are you alone really? You know what I mean? Yeah. Love that reframe. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And like in those moments of like needing community of needing help, cause it's still good to need help, right? Like we still need our community and like it, like thinking that we could ever have to do it completely alone, I think is, is the wrong idea. Right. Yeah. 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 I think it's, it's more about like being able to negotiate it every, in every circumstance rather than like having an expectation that like, one person is always going to be there for me. And that's what long-term partnership can provide, which is one of the benefits of it. Absolutely a beautiful thing. 
right? And so, yeah, I think it is important to recognize that like when you take off that dynamic to try and do singleness or whatever, not have a romantic partner in that sort of committed setup, that dynamic, it is a radically different understanding of your energy and understanding of where you look to for support in your community. I mean, we know this the second, you know, you go through a breakup, you suddenly have this more amount of space for relational energy. So you start maybe hanging out with your friends more, other sorts of things, you know, like it definitely shifts a lot. Totally. Yeah. 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 This has been such a wonderful conversation. I know. I feel like I could just go on and on and just like keep talking. I know. I just like to bounce off ideas and yeah, talk and great. change through conversation. It's it's lovely. Yeah. yeah. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. So I'll ask you the one last final question. What is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? Mm. Such a good question. Okay. I'm going to just say like, self-love like just in general like it sounds cliche but like just like acknowledging our deepest feelings about ourselves I think is so powerful like how do we how would we show up for ourselves if we were our own romantic partner oh yes like how would we show ourselves care or like sensuality or like treat ourselves you know and like hold out for that partner, you know, and like be that partner for yourself always. Hell you yes. Know? Absolutely. So that's what I would say. Yes. It's radical. We get it on planes, you know, like when the air drops out, you put on your oxygen mask first before you help the others. You know how many times we've heard that, but it's so important because you can't breathe if you're trying to help other people. Yeah. Yeah. Just taking that time for it every day, like put on the mask, like tell yourself how badass you are. Like, I don't know if that's normal, but it should be more normal, you know, to just like celebrate ourselves always. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think definitely for me, like coming into just the concepts of polyamory of solo polyamory where, you know, your main partner is yourself. Like even that concept radically changed me to think yeah. about things like this of, yeah, what is my relationship to myself? Yeah. Do I even have one? Totally. Scarier question, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think like in sexuality, even we overlook it a lot, you know, people are like in such a hurry, like doing the thing, you know, like getting to the end goal, but like, do you do that with a partner? Nah, you don't. You enjoy it in its fullness, you know? And like, that's part of our own solo experience too. You know, it should be like really enjoying that to its fullness, you know? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Even like, I noticed for me, a lot of things like not even taking myself out on dates, right? Like that was something like, oh, to go and get food somewhere, you have to be in a, with a person versus like, no, I can buy that for myself. Or go and have this experience, you know, at the beach or whatever for myself. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Radical. I know. Rad especially for people that are conditioned as women. Yeah, 100%. So, hell yeah. I think it is radical and I think it is anarchy and I'm really, really happy about it. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Totally. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been such a great conversation. Appreciate you and all the work you're doing. You're awesome. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed today's episode, then leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. 
And if you're a part of the anarchist community, then follow us on Instagram or nominate a guest for the show by sending in a letter to modernanarchypodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.